Maribel Lara is the Senior Vice President and Head of Consulting at the Sasha Group, a VaynerX company working with early and growth stage businesses. Maribel's been a leader in the content space and marketing space for over a decade now and has served in roles ranging from VP of Strategy to the Office of the CEO for VaynerMedia prior to helping spin out the Sasha Group. Maribel, someone personally I had the pleasure of working with directly during our shared time at VaynerMedia and someone I have a ton of respect for. Her ability to connect on a human level is striking when you when you meet her and she probably has one of the most or the most rational and people-centered point of views on how brands should craft and distribute diverse and inclusive messaging, at least that I've heard. During the episode, we discussed really important things like Maribel's take on Long Island pizza, how SMBs should approach storytelling, and the practical steps to help us develop content that invites people from all walks of life. I really enjoyed this episode. I'm really, really grateful for Maribel taking the time to talk with us, and I hope you enjoy Put that content down. Content. The closes only. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. All right, welcome back into Content is for Closers. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Vasquez, here along with a guy who prefers his pizza to be cake, a.k.a. pie, a.k.a. deep dish. That is Carlton Riffle. What's going on, Carlton? Chicago-style pizza, man. That's right. I've had Chicago. I've been and had Lou Malnati's and uh, what's one of the other like... Giordano's? Giordano's, yep. And I have... Personally, I'm a Lou Malnati's guy. What about you? Yeah, I like Lou Malnati's a little better, too. Okay. I'm a guy. Their salad dressing is off the hook as well. I've, I've enjoyed that. But the reason we're talking about pizza is because today we talked to Maribel Lara, who I used to work with at VaynerMedia and who, among all of the actual important topics we talked about, one of the things that struck me funny was her separating Brooklyn pizza from Long Island pizza. Being now in the South, I would take either, but she had some pretty strong views on on both. What, what's, your, what's your pizza tradition? As far as pizza goes, I, growing up in Chicago, having Northern pizza, you get pretty spoiled, right? But my family actually had this tradition. Every single Sunday night was pizza night. Nice. And so we'd actually, it was homemade pizza of oh, sorts. Wow. We'd use like Jiffy mix for the crust. But it was like the, there's a certain taste to my mom's homemade pizza that, you know, somehow beats out all the rest of the pizza when you're at home on a Sunday night. So that's, that's kind of a tradition we've continued. So every Sunday night now, Julia makes homemade pizza and that's kind of like our night to have friends over and things. So that's cool. uh, We're keeping the tradition alive here at the Riffle household. First of all, big shout out to me for never having been invited to that before, but also I've had Julia's. Hey, 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 let's just, let's set the record straight for those who are listening who don't know where Adam lives now. Yeah, that's He used to live where I moved to. And then once we moved, he's like, oh, (laughs) the riffles are here. We got to leave. As soon as possible. Or I've had Julia's cooking. I'm sorry. And it it is excellent. So I can't imagine how good the pizza is. Do you get, do you get mom's slice like around the holidays still? Yeah. Yeah. If like we go, we go, sometimes I, I ask for it, especially if, even if it's not a Sunday. Nice. So, but yeah, I I think as far as pizza goes, Adam, do you have a a preference for Brooklyn pizza or? You know, yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of takes on pizza. This is kind of what blew my mind about Maribel's thing was because so I, I grew up in Philadelphia and then outside of Philadelphia and 
the whole area has like pretty good pizza and obviously not New York or, or even like parts of Northern Jersey. But then in the South, there's just like very rarely do you come across a, a really good slice. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with the water potentially, or maybe some other ingredient I'm missing. And so anyway, there's like a, a world of difference just in that geographic span. But Maribel was talking about her struggle to find good pizza in Long Island, which is her new home, as opposed to Brooklyn. And just some of the funny, I mean, those are so close together, like it, 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 in my experience compared to what I have to deal with. So, and actually she talked a little bit about how certain content helped her find a better slice than, than another. So it was, it was actually a good and interesting anecdote, but between that and how content is sort of replacing advertising and then some of the, the inclusion stuff she talked about, did anything stand out uh, to you that people should listen for? Yeah. So, I mean, she's a consultant, so she's really helping business operators run their businesses, not just selling them on marketing and advertising. So I think that's a great takeaway for how, how to view business and how to view marketing is, is they're very closely aligned and they complement each other. So that's good. Just her focus on that, uh, especially as she helps these, these business owners uh, run their businesses is, is really neat. Yeah, I thought that and something you pointed out was the the replacement of ads for just the the experience itself. Like in the in, back in the day, we borrowed equity from brands who were providing experiences, and then we would use that equity to serve ads. And now we're just getting rid of that middleman and, and being able to to replace it. I thought that was a really interesting conversation, a great point that will help people as they think through where they should be putting out their content. So, unless you have anything else, I think we should dive into the the conversation with Maribel. Let's jump in. Okay, we have Maribel Lara on with us. Thank you so much for joining us, Maribel. Before we get too far, I have to uh, give a shout out, first of all, to the Hispanic squad that we were on went back in the, the Vayner days. Is that still going on? Is that still- Yes, it's referred to as Amigos, but yeah, Amigos oh, cool. is still going. That's a way better name. Um, as we record this, we're in the midst of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, so we're, we've right. got some events coming up. Very cool. Okay, so that was that's initially how I think you and I met. You were leading that effort at at Vayner, and then you came down to Chattanooga, and our mutual friend Megan Murphy and and us had pancakes at some yes. place. It was the best pancakes. I, I can't even remember what it's called now over there. In it had like Franken in the name because these pancakes were monstrous. That's right. Aretha Frankenstein's. That's what it was. There you go. Yeah. So some good memories from all of that. But yeah, so much appreciate you coming on the show and, and spending a little bit of time with us. I'm super happy to be here, Adam. Any excuse to be able to like have a conversation with you. (laughs) Appreciate that. So I gave the audience a little bit of background on, and and obviously Mickey was a recent guest. So they heard a little bit about um, what's going on with the Sasha group, what you all are, are focusing on. But I know you are leading the consulting arm specifically. Could you give us a little bit of context as to what you all are doing and, and what your focus is? Yeah, so I lead the consulting practice at the Sasha Group. We started diving into consulting under the VaynerMedia umbrella originally, right? Gary realized he had a lot of small businesses, even mid-sized businesses coming to him and really wanting advice. It wasn't just about like wanting to advertise in social media, but it was questions about operationalizing marketing and also broader questions about business. 
And the truth is, like, that is the need in the SMB market, right? So if we truly wanted to work with small to mid-market businesses, then just offering marketing services wasn't actually going to address the majority of the needs that we were hearing Hmm. from them. And so operating as a consultancy meant that we could start to meet some of those needs. And so what we do on the consulting front is things from, as I mentioned, like operationalizing marketing. We have clients who come to us and have paid for a marketing strategy that has just sat within their walls, right? Like sat in a folder because they don't actually know how to take that strategy and enact it. And it could be because somebody developed a strategy for them, but it didn't really take into account the realities of resourcing for this company, right? Like, sure, they may have somebody who's in charge of marketing, but that same person may also be in charge of five other things Mm. for the organization. And if you're not taking that into account, then you're not going to be able to execute that strategy, right? Um, We had questions about organizations that were growing and that were realizing the next stage of growth didn't necessarily mean doing more of the thing that got them to this stage, but really taking a step back and thinking about how they might differentiate, come up with something new, what else they might be equipped to achieve based on like the business they had built thus far. Perhaps they had come into some growth and had money to invest in a senior leadership team or one addition to their senior leadership. And they were debating if that should be a CFO, a COO, or a CMO. And we're looking to have a conversation with someone around that. Um, I came from, while I have been working in marketing for some time now, I actually transitioned out of an MBA program. And I was interested in both marketing and management and in general, how businesses run. And so Diving into consulting gave me the opportunity to think about businesses more broadly. You know this from working in the agency world. Like one of the biggest frustrations is like you want to have conversations with with a client about their business mm. because marketing is a function of business, right? And if you're not taking into account the business strategy, the business objectives, then your marketing is going to fail. And so functioning as a consultancy in addition to an agency essentially gives us the permission to have those broader business conversations and to support clients, to support SMBs in the ways that really matter at that stage. Yeah, very cool. So then you, I think on the agency side, getting whatever you want to call it, top-down approval or or getting uh, buy-in from the very top can sometimes be a challenge depending on who you're talking to. And you all, uh, to some extent, are, are able to get that by the fact that you're doing this business consulting and then letting letting the ad side fall out of that. Is that that's kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And we work with clients in pretty much two capacities. One is advisory, right? One is like, essentially, you have a bat phone to us, you buy a certain amount of hours to be able to access us. And we determine before we go into it, how you might want to use those hours. So we have a sense of what resources we might pull together for you. And what are the conversations we want to have? We want to focus on depending on like the package you buy one to two things, because if I talk to you about 20, you're not really going to see an impact on 20, but if we focus on one to two, you're going to see an impact. So there's advisory where we teach folks how to do these things for themselves, right? And then be able to replicate that year after year, season after season. And then we have more project-based consulting where like we have a very defined project, a very defined timeline against that project, and we execute against that. 
Yeah, I love that you call it a bat phone because <laughs> that's just <laughs> such good imagery. And I, I bet people feel like that, that they have like a, a lifeline or a safety line out to, to folks who can actually help them. Oh, yeah, I get, I get the text messages. It's like, hey, something happened. Do you have 15 minutes yeah. to talk about this? Let's go. Yeah, that's great. One, one thing that you said back at the, when you were describing the consulting services, I think is super interesting is we, and we'll get, I don't want to jump the gun on, on, on your answer, but at the end, we always ask our guests, if you were gifted $150,000 worth of budget and you had to spend it on some type of marketing effort or whatever, how would you spend that? The answer has always been hire people. I think it's interesting to your point that there's a, that's something that we just all gloss over kind of in the space, I think, to an extent is like, yeah, there's there's manpower and there's this is the plan and I'll just go execute it. And to your point, not everyone can execute just because of bandwidth and, and time. So that's super valuable that you all view it that way. But when you're talking to some of these SMBs and the owners and the marketing leads and all of those sorts of things, I think for, for our audience anyways, a lot of them are coming to content really for the first time or at least uh, in a serious way. Maybe they did content or they've they've been doing some version of it. But in terms of like core business, driving core business through it, it's a, it's a novel concept. So when you talk to someone like that, how do you guide them to think about content or where do they start in terms of their journey from maybe zero to actually seeing business come in down the line through through their content journey? Yeah. First and foremost, I, I try to dive into the conversations that they're having day to day, right? Every business has a story behind it, has multiple stories behind it. Like that's just the truth of it. There's a story to how you got the idea for your business or why you started it the way that you started it or why you started it with the people that you surrounded yourself with in the community you started it in. So I think first and foremost, content marketing is about identifying what your stories are hmm. and, and documenting them right? Like that's what we're talking about and doing it in a way that comes natural to you, right? That's when we try to force folks into things that are completely like left field from what they've been doing, they're less likely to try it. But if you can do something that's somewhat familiar to them, I, I have this challenge all the time. I am not great like speaking directly to camera and recording myself. I am great at having conversations, mm. right? And so that format tends to work better for me. So if I'm if I'm looking to create content, it's better for me to plan it as a conversation with someone or to get like a prompt, but it's, it's really hard for me to come off the cuff. Right. So we're talking about the same thing in terms of like document, documenting a story and video, but there are dynamics of that that can make someone more comfortable. Sure. Maybe someone's not comfortable in front of camera, right? Like we had clients through consulting through our mentors program that at the beginning were like, I want nothing to do with content creation, right? Like I never want to be on video. Yeah. Uh, I took a visit down to their office to do like stakeholder interviews and like get to know them better. And I, I saw these caricatures. So there were three founders. They had caricatures of each of them on the wall. And I was like, hey, so I had a thought, like, what do you think about using a cartoon character or like illustrations to represent you in content, right? So you can sort of like jot down your ideas and your thought process, but it doesn't necessarily need to be you on camera. We can come up with another way to represent you. And they, mm. loved, they loved that, right? And 
they started to do that. And eventually they just became super comfortable with this idea of creating content that now all three of them are always on camera. Uh, I love that. Yeah. So finding ways that are true or authentic or in some ways, just strengths of the, yeah. of the clients themselves. Absolutely. What about, what about in terms of the, maybe the strategy or I know when I was, when I was there and it, you may use different language now, but we always talked about thinking like a media company or acting like a media company. What does that mean for like the, the, the normal, whatever it is, several million dollar landscaping company or, or D2C product or these types of just normal businesses that maybe haven't delved in too deeply yet? Yeah, I love this question. For me, it's when you think about marketing, right? Like the things that come to mind traditionally as marketing, we think about advertisements that are tacked onto content, right? Like TV commercials, radio ads, right? That originally were like little skits in between the radio show, mm -hmm. um, print ads, which appear within the content, within the context of a magazine. Essentially, marketing traditionally grew out of leveraging content that media companies, magazines, TV shows were creating and sort of buying some of their equity in creating content. The idea of functioning like a media company is like, you know your customer better and you can be more precise in creating content that is truly of value to your customer. So why don't you own it rather than pay somebody to borrow their equity when their equity isn't specific, as specific as it can be to your right, consumer, right. right? And not only that, but then you're not paying for it like every, every once in a while, then you've got this consistent channel of communication with your customer open. But I think the other element of operating like a media company is overvaluing what matters to your customer over what you want to say. So it's much more about like listening and responding to needs than it is like, here's what I want you to know about me. And right. here's what I want to get said. You'll do that every once in a while, but more than anything, turning the tables and focusing on your customer, what they want to hear, what they want to read, what they want to watch. Eventually they'll, they'll start to wonder about this, this organization, this business that's providing them so much value and, and they're going to request that information from you and they're going to want to give you something back for what you've given them. Yeah. I love, I, first of all, obviously I've heard of the concept because I just, I just asked you about it, but I had never <laughs> heard the, the, like the history that you gave with it, the context of we used to buy ads and publications and we're buying their equity. And now instead of doing that, which, which th those publications had equity for sure. But to your point, it's not specific equity to the problem that we're trying to solve as a business. So right. I love that picture. Uh, of of creating equity that's very specific to a problem, which so, so the audience might be smaller than right because you're you're not just going after a shotgun approach in that scenario. You're, you're okay with a smaller audience that is in some ways opting in. Is that right? right? Well, that's absolutely right, and that's a good thing, right? Like a bigger audience isn't necessarily the best thing for you, right? Like you may be you may be wasting a lot of money because that that's what you've had to do. But the the reality is is social opened the door for us to talk to specific people in the ways that matter to them, right? And it's that's not inauthentic because I think that's where businesses' heads often go is like, well, if I talk to consumer A one way and consumer B slightly different and consumer C like yet a different way, isn't that inauthentic? I'm being a completely different person. 
no, I'm not asking you to be a completely different business or entity. I'm asking you to adapt the conversation based mm -hmm. on who you're speaking to. And we all do this every single day. Mm -hmm. There are certain conversations, there's a certain tone that we take on when we're speaking to children. And there's a separate tone that we're taking on when we're having conversations in a boardroom. And there are even different conversations that are taking on when we're having a conversation with our partner. We don't cease to be the same person. We mm -hmm. just adapt based on like the subject matter and like who the audience is. I love that. This is my, my mind is bringing up my grandfather from Puerto Rico and lived all of his life in, in New York, Philadelphia. So he has a very unique accent, I would say, <laughs> that mixes all of these different things. And so when I'm talking to him, my family all makes fun of me because they can tell when I'm talking to him on the phone or in another room because they say that I I talk differently to re to to reflect that. And it's still me talking. It's just that the audience there, for whatever reason, I don't even I don't do it consciously. I'm talking differently. It's the same idea when you're talking to your customers. But I wanted to also touch on a point you made just just a few minutes ago, talking about prioritizing the message that your customer wants to hear or the subject matter even that they want to discuss over your own. I think this is really important, especially on the SMB level, because so often the the advertising is, it just becomes locked in to be that it needs to be convert conversion focused or whatever. And so often I'll talk to customers, even about things like TikTok, or I'm not going to rehash everything like, but that, that they're just have never even thought of because there's no way that you can sell whatever it is, X product via, via that platform. Just, can you talk a little bit more about the value of maybe entertaining or engaging in a way that the customer wants to be engaged as opposed to just, just promoting your message? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to pull it. I think this is a simple example, right? I moved, we were having this conversation about how I moved into a new community about nine months ago. We were looking for our local pizza place. Right. Like we, so we moved important. to New York City. We yeah. had to find like what is our pizza place gonna be? Um, wait, wait, so sorry to interrupt you, but what was your pizza place <laughs> in uh this is this is important facts in the people. in the city? So it yes. sort of depends, right? Like we had our local like slice place. Okay, okay. We have to have a slice place, but then our go to was Grimaldi's for pies. Okay, all right. So bottom of the Brooklyn Bridge that that's, yeah, but they yeah. had a couple locations. So they had one, okay. they had one near us in, in Manhattan. Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Continue. With <laughs> no, <that>. no, <laughs> no problem. So we had to find a pizza place. You go on a search, you can find tens of pizza places like in, you know, a, a five mile radius of our new house. A lot of those have really good reviews. Hmm. How do you pick? Right? Like could be content. We ended up picking the one we picked because the owner was originally from Brooklyn and that to us was, a, we were just like, he know he understands what good pizza <laughs> is, right? And that's yeah. why we ended up going there. We loved it. And now that's our place. Any it's, story around that could have, could have attracted you. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if I was looking, if like his website had sent, said like, Brooklyn born, right? Like out of the, out of the streets of Brooklyn, like now providing pizza in Long Island. If I had seen that ad, right? Like if you think about it, there's, I was searching a bunch of stuff related to the area. So there were definitely ways to find out that I was like new to the area, mm. right? Like th that story would have gotten me there faster, sure. but 
that's how I decide where I'm going to go. That's how most of us make decisions. We have endless amounts of choices these days. Mm -hmm. So for someone to think like the transaction itself doesn't happen on that platform because I sell pizza and that means you need to go on my website and order it or you right, need to come right. to my store. But what you're missing is like there's this whole decision making process that takes place before the actual purchase. Mm -hmm. Right. I was bookmarking plate restaurants that I wanted to try before I even moved out here because we knew months before we moved that we were moving here. Mm -hmm. Right. And and a lot of that was based on what I came across on Instagram, mm -hmm. because what I did was a search for hashtags in my local area for like food on Long Island. And so guess what? If you were a great restaurant in my area, but you didn't have a presence on Instagram. You didn't make my list. You're not even part. Yeah, not even part of the the options. I love right. how intentional you were about finding your pizza place. It just showed. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same exact way. Also, what's funny is that so I grew up with Philadelphia pizza, which I know is not, but it's like Northeast, okay. And so now that I live in South Carolina, anything from like Maryland up, like if people are like, yeah, we're from philly or we're from pittsburgh or like i never ate pittsburgh pizza growing up but now i get so excited because at least they're and you're talking about being on long island you needed somebody from brooklyn so just, just, why you get more specific that's right all, all contextual that, that that's good i was gonna ask you for some a case study or something to to explain this idea and that was like the pizza place did it better than i think any any case study could so thank you for sharing that so i can't let you out of here and especially on september and and considering how we met without asking um a little bit uh, by the way didn't did we go to the google hispanic marketing summit together i know jesse hutchison and i went but i can't i can't remember okay. You're, i'm old adam i can't remember I know, that far I back <laughs> I, I, I thought it was funny because it was it was very good and it was very helpful but a lot of it was and this was a while ago and i'm sure they've improved uh since then a lot of it was how do we adapt the english version of whatever campaign for right. a, for a hispanic audience and something that i've noticed that I think is, is, is great. And I just wanted to get your opinion on even just as a consumer is so much of the content that's coming out now is being personalized, not just for Hispanic audiences, but like the in-between, which is what I would consider myself where okay. I have influences, I have verbiage and, 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 um, cultural things that I associate with the way I grew up, but I'm not fluent in speaking Spanish. I didn't live in, in Puerto Rico or, or one of the islands or whatever. Yeah. And still with that like niche case, they are providing, I'm thinking of things like from Futuro Studios mm -hmm. and, and some things like that, where they have like English and Spanish. And I just was curious what you think a is driving some of that, like that really, really refined personalization. And then secondly, Again, not to go like fully advanced, but how can how can the normal business think of I mean Hispanic market is huge. So how can they think of starting finding ways to start uh, engaging with that audience? It's a great question and so multifaceted, right? Mm -hmm. So why, right? Like why care? is sort of like the, the place I'd start. I believe the stat I saw yesterday, because there are always new stats around Hispanic Heritage Month. I believe the stat is like Latinos, Latinx, Hispanics make up almost 18% of the population in the wow. US. They are the fastest growing mm -hmm. group, racial or ethnic group in the United States. They are the largest ethnic or racial minority in the United States, is that true? No, that's Asian Americans. They're the second largest, I believe. They're one of the largest, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
fastest growing, if the, I believe one of the biggest in terms of like entrepreneurship, right? Like actually growing business. Mm. There are just so many reasons to care is what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to so add much- to that, I think they're one of the leading in uh, mobile consumption when in using mobile devices, which I think is helpful. And, and one of the leading in terms of, I I saw one of the, like, like you said, one of these uh, stats that comes out because it's the month, but something in terms of amongst minorities, they, they spend a higher percentage of their budget than, than others. So they're, they're a significant part of the economy, I think is kind of the, the point. Absolutely. To your point, this is not about language. Mm -hmm. This is not a translation game, right? right? This is about cultural relevance and helping people connect to you, right, through content. Mm-hmm. And so really what it's all about is you asked the question, the question specific to the Latino, Latina, Latinx, Hispanic community, but really it's just a question in general about like reflecting a variety of experiences mm-hmm. and backgrounds. You cannot do that if you don't have variety of experience mm. at the table sure. in terms of when you are creating content, right? So you're, you're just going to miss stuff. Yeah I, would, yeah, I would miss stuff, right? Like as a person who was born and raised in New York City and has lived there most of my life, if I was the only person reviewing content that's for a national campaign or an organization that's trying to establish themselves nationally, I would miss things for sure because I don't really get the rural experience. I'm only recently understanding the suburban experience. I had never owned a home. So looking at anything in relation to like managing a home or navigating a home, I was not your best person to develop that kind of advertising. Right. And so it's really the same thing about experiences. Like people are going to utilize your product, your service in different ways. They're going to connect with it in a variety of different ways or for different reasons based on what their background is. Mm. And so the more that you can diversify the way that you tell that story and also who you represent in your content, the wider the appeal you're going to have. And so to me, that's really what it's all about is like, who's looking at your content, right? Mm. Like we have a tendency when we hire, as we grow teams, naturally we gravitate towards the people that are like us. Right. But that's actually not a great thing. You Mm. should be looking to be like, you absolutely want to connect with people, right? You absolutely want to find people whose working styles jive with your working styles, whose values are aligned with what the business's values are, but you want them to bring something different to that table. Mm -hmm. And that different isn't just skills. It's also experience and background. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I mean, a sports analogy would be like, you're not going to have five point guards on the court at one time. You're not going to have whatever. You're not going to have duplicate of the same position unless it's an emergency situation and you fall into that. But we often do do that with our with all of our teams, but especially when it comes to our, our marketing and, and content teams, it can tend to be a little bit homogenous. So having some of that diversity and allowing some of that diversity of thought, I think is for Hispanics or not, just just allows you to have more uh, range in, in what it, you talk about. Yeah, and it sends a message about like, 
like people feeling welcomed, right? Like mm -hmm. that you want to work with folks like me. If I look at a business page and the only customers I see there are customers that don't look like me, then I question whether or not you'd want to work with somebody that looks like me. Sure. Right? Like it's, we can't control perception, but we can control what we put out there. Right. Sure. And so we, we, we can do our best to like actually reflect what our intentions are, what our values are. And sometimes folks don't realize that because we're just not look, we're not intentional about looking for it. We're not intentional about trying to reflect like the wide, the, the wide variety of businesses or people that we yeah. And when you do get that, I can I have a small anecdote kind of around that. I think there's a lot of times more similarity than than you think, or or you kind of stumble across similar threads that resonate across multiple groups. For instance, Chacho Valadez, who you I think you know, and he yeah. works at Backstage and is a customer of ours for his new podcast. He he put a tweet on a, a while ago. He wrote a tweet about tell me you are. Tell me you grew up with immigrant parents without telling me you did. Yeah. And, and like over half the responses had to do with vapor Vicks, vapor. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just Hispanic people though, who were talking about it. That, that's what surprised me. There was Asian people talking about it. There's black people talking about it. There's, and I, so it was just like this funny thing that sort of transcended a yeah. bunch of different cultures. But if you, if you didn't have that mixture in the audience engaging on on that particular tweet you you might not have known that like for instance me i was sure that that was my my grandmother's thing like <laughs> she came so i was shocked when everybody else had had similar experiences but that sort of talks to your point there there are these things that can be discovered that are either common or unique but you won't know unless you have the different voices sort of around the table there yeah and the last thing i'll say about it because it, it's the point that you're making, right? We had a Hispanic Heritage Month event yesterday and we were having this conversation around terminology, oh, cool. right? And the fact that like, not everyone identifies as Latinx, not everyone identifies as Hispanic. Like there's division in the community, right? In the ethnic community mm -hmm. about the term we use to describe ourselves. And where we ended that conversation was like, it does, the term doesn't matter, right? Like if you actually focus on the values on the cultural values, that's going to be more effective than you trying to figure out, do we say Latine, Latinx, or Hispanic sure. in our advertising? Because to your point, if you focus on the values, then that's going to actually connect with that community, but also other communities or other identities that also have that mm. value in common. Yeah. Super powerful. Well, thank you so much, Maribel. I think that's a great spot to to wrap it up. I, I, I do have to ask you because we kind of alluded to it earlier, but back on on putting back your CMO marketing hat on for one of your small business clients. If you if you're gifted one hundred fifty thousand dollars, a modest budget to spend on to on growth, content marketing, etc., where would you spend it? And maybe on behalf of of one of your clients or in, in, in tandem with them. Oh, we see, we can't talk about acting like a media company and not talk about hiring people. It really does come <laughs> to that, right? Like yep. I, the hurdle that most of my clients go through is like the creation of the actual content because it's not what they do day to day. It's not what comes naturally to them. Um, and so it, here's the thing. I'll say it's either people to help you with the content creation, like the pieces that don't come naturally to you, that it takes you a long time and somebody who does it day in and day out would do it faster, mm -hmm. or it's hiring out 
to create more time for yourself to do it. Because I've also worked with founders who are like, okay. I love doing that, right? Like, I love capturing video. I want to be able to edit it, but I don't have the time to do it. So then the conversation becomes, oh, let's figure out what you can take off of your plate so that you have more time to do that other thing. So are you spending a ton of time responding to emails or scheduling meetings? Well, then let's get you a virtual assistant who can take that stuff off your plate so that you have more time for content creation. But it's usually time, right? Like we're, yeah. we're looking to buy time. And the only way to buy time is to bring on more people who can help create time for you or take on some of the, some things and, and, and provide value that way. No, that's great though. I will, we'll use, I think the unique part, we haven't heard the idea of replacing yourself in, in other aspects of the business. I think that's a great um, little wrinkle to it. And even for us, like I think if if I can replace myself in the accounting and and like yeah. payables and all that sort of thing, I'd have a lot more time to do stuff like this. So it makes total sense. Well, thank you so much, Maribel. Please, next time you're you're down south, let me know. We'll we'll have to get more right. pancakes. But but appreciate you coming <laughs> coming on with us. Sounds good. Thanks for the conversation, Adam. Thank you so much, Maribel, uh, for that great episode. This idea or this point that she made about valuing what your customers or your listeners' actual needs and wants are over what you want to tell them. Mm. And I think this is one of those things that people have to be reminded of uh, on a pretty consistent basis because our natural bent is to tell people what we want them to hear, not what they actually want to hear mm -hmm. or need to hear. So as a business owner or as somebody who's doing marketing, if you can take yourself, put yourself back in the customer's shoes, I think we talk about this pretty often, but you can't do it enough. Get in their shoes and ask, what is it that they really need and what is it that they really want right now from me that I can provide that's valuable for them? And then tell them that, not what you think they want to hear. Yeah, this is this is the whole idea when, and I know it gets made fun of a lot, but when you see Gary Vee out there talking about being empathetic or, or having empathy, that's what he's talking about. He's being able to put on someone else's situation and and think through that in order to to navigate how you're going to create content. And I think it's almost humane in a lot of ways. Like if you're inhumane, I'm sorry. If you are a just normal functioning human and you're in a conversation, our bent is to already be thinking about what we want to say next in order to whether it be prove a point or win an argument or make ourselves look better or whatever. Like there's all these different and you have to remove yourself from that desire as a marketer for any of those things. Like you have to be okay with not being right. You have to be okay with not winning the argument, not even closing the piece of business and just providing that pure value, like to, to, to what you were just saying. And it's a really difficult thing. I mean, it's why when you see a great piece of content, you see a great piece of marketing, it resonates because it is so rare. It doesn't happen very often. I also really appreciated Maribel's approach and her the, the way that she talked about diversity and inclusion i think it's easy to talk about today i think it or it, not easy but it's a it's a frequent thing to talk about and a lot of times the same things can just be said over and over and over again to the point where it's white noise and what what i appreciated about maribel's approach specifically was just the very human approach so it was less about like how do we incorporate this group and how do we incorporate that group and it was more like how do we make our our brand our content this experience inclusive for all of the different groups and then thinking through those individually i thought that was really practical and if you're a business owner or a marketer and you miss that or you just kind of like 
skimmed through it, I would encourage you to listen through that section again, because uh, it was so powerful and so practical for me in in how we tell stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of that comes back to trust. Hmm. Um, If I'm looking at your marketing and it's not in my, it doesn't speak to my culture at all, or it doesn't speak to who I am, then it's going to be hard to trust what you're saying. If I, for the earlier point about what our customer wants, if, if you're telling me something that I don't really want to hear, or that's not that helpful, then I'm not going to trust you as much. So yeah. a lot of our marketing has to be centered around what can we do? What can we say? How can we present these ideas or these, these selling points in a way that will gather trust instead of uh, create a distraction or roadblock? Yeah. So Adam, for our have you heard segment, what is it that you want to tell the people that you've heard lately? Yeah, sticking on brand with this particular episode, I want to give a shout out to another one of my my Latino amigos, Chacho Valadez. So Chacho is the he's a principal at Backstage Capital. He is the chief of staff for Arlen at Backstage, and he is a co- client of ours at Herd Pods. So if you don't follow Chacho specifically on Twitter, his his handle is at Chacho Valadez, C-H-A-C-H-O-V-A-L-A-D-E-Z. And the reason specifically that I'm telling you to follow him is we obviously have some look into the future at what he's working on, and he has a really cool project coming out um, later this year. So get ahead of the curve on that and, and follow Chacho. Awesome. So my have you heard is actually a website builder. I think it's getting to the point where there's just so many website builders out there that it's it's kind of a joke, but it's called Doric. Uh, kind of hard to remember, not a, probably not a great name for advertising purposes, but D-O-R-I-K.com. And it's like $36 a year. Okay. Um, and you get up to two domains with that, wow. custom domains that you can put with it. And then they've already got like Stripe integration, a lot of different blocks that are easy to build with. So what's it's, their, it's a, what's their like, like if, if Shopify is for retail folks and Squarespace is for lazy people, what, what would you say? <laughs> what would you say? This lazy one? and cheap people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's got a similar feel responsive out of the box. So it's got a similar feel a little bit to Squarespace. I'd probably say it's easier to use and okay. a little bit more simple than Squarespace. But yeah, I think another competitor of theirs would be like card C A R R D seen theirs. Um, that's, that's more focused on single page websites. So this kind of takes it a step further where you can have uh, multiple pages and, and build out a little bit more complex of a website than you'd have in card for about the same price. So Doric is $36 a year and has a lot of the features that you'd expect out of these builders that you'd pay a little bit higher monthly fee for. So that's my... Yeah, so make sure you check out doric.com backslash Carlton for his special code. It'll probably be a 404 error. <laughs> yeah, I need to start doing that. I need to check like our referral links for all of these. So go to the show notes and click our special link and mention that you heard it from Adam and That's Carlton right. and you'll get no, no discount, get... but we might get something maybe at, yeah, at some yeah. point, but appreciate again, Maribel coming on. I think this was a, a great episode, a different episode in a lot of ways. And hopefully people will enjoy that. Listen, if you've listened to this point and you have not, I mean, pause it. I mean, it's over. So just stop listening to this episode, but go to Apple Podcasts. Even if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts. It'll take you two minutes. Find our show, Content is for Closers, and give us a five-star review. We are at 68. I cannot sleep until we get to 70. It's just it's just a thing. I need it to be a round number. It's bothering me. I've asked people on Twitter. They're ignoring me. So please, you who are listening, who feel that sense of guilt, 
go and, and, and give me that five-star review. I'll be very appreciative of it. Carlton, thanks for hanging. See you next week. Hey, good times. See ya.